Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas week. I sure did. My plan was to take this week off, but then a couple of people were wondering where my podcast was. So I was blessed by that. I've actually been taking this week off work and podcasting to complete the editing of my book. Woohoo! I'm so excited because it's really close to being done. Stay tuned for more on that. I have also really enjoyed getting in some quality time with Jesus. And what I did is I wrote down some thoughts that I feel God's been sharing with me about the coming new year. And it was so strong. I thought, you know what? I'm going to share a bit of this in my podcast. Kind of what I feel God's speaking to and doing with his church in the coming year. So stay tuned as we dive into the book of Esther for our new year's episode. Hello and hello. I am so glad to have you with me today as we continue to look at the book of Esther. Uh, I have continued to study Esther because our church is going to be hosting a three, well, we should say a three and a half day fast, January 2nd through the 5th. So feel free to join us in that. My husband, Charlie, and I are going to be doing Facebook Live videos through the book of Esther beginning January 1st. So as we've been reading them and studying them, it's taken me back to some of the early chapters, and we've had great discussions on the many ways the book of Esther relates to today. But for this episode, I'm going to finish Esther chapter 5, and things are just beginning to heat up in this amazing story. Alrighty, we left off in Esther 5, verse 8, and what we saw was Esther risking her life to step into the king's court. And then instead of, you know, throwing out her request, she invites the king and his right-hand man, also known as the enemy of the Jews, Haman, to a banquet. They go to the banquet, but again, Esther does not share her request. She has now invited the king and Haman back the following night to a banquet. Something has made her resist, and we can only contemplate why. I sort of think she was working at reinstating her relationship with the king, working at winning his heart. Remember, she had not been called to his presence for 30 days. She's also exercising patience and discernment because for everything, there is a season. My poor daughter is currently pregnant with a child that was due 10 days ago. And sometimes we just have to wait. We have to learn to be still before God and not panic. He has his timing. And all we can do is trust. Well, now we're going to see what Mr. Haman does as he leaves the banquet. In verse 9, it says, Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. We often talk about how Queen Esther risked her life to stand in the king's courtyard. But first, we have to remember that there was the bravery of her uncle, Mordecai, who in many ways to me is the real hero of this book. He refuses to stand in the presence of the king's second in charge, even though he lives in a crazy pagan culture, and it was certain death. Yet stand he does. Mordecai is unmoved by those with earthly power. I wonder if I'd have such courage. 
And sadly, I tend to think I'd excuse my bowing by saying, I'm just showing respect, just showing respect. My husband pointed out that Haman was a modern day Hitler. Mordecai was basically implying, I know who you are and I know what you're doing. Haman may have deceived the king with smooth talk and slick moves, but Mordecai is silently saying, I got your number. Hence, he sends Haman into a rage. We live in a day of feckless politicians afraid to move without permission from the wealthy elitist. We watch those in high places fold up their values to achieve success and wealth. It is rare to see someone willing to stand out in this cancer culture that is intent on silencing us and making us sit down. Yet in Esther, we see God rewards the ones who stand and keep standing, even when all worldly logic and media voices are saying, Set, what is wrong with you? You know what? Based on um, one of Dutch Sheet's recent Take 15 prayer videos, I looked up the story of a man named Alvin C. York, who became what they called, after World War II, the war's biggest hero. Let me read what's said about him. The events of October 8, 1918, took place as part of the Meuse-Argonne Offensive, what was to be the final Allied push against German forces on the Western Front during World War I. Oh, I said World War II. It's World War I. York and his battalion were given the task of seizing German-held positions across the valley. After encountering difficulties, the small group of soldiers, numbering some 17 men, that's it, 17, were fired upon by German machine gun nest at the top of a nearby hill. The gunners cut down nine men, including a superior officer, leaving York in charge of the squad. So now they're only down to eight guys. As York wrote in his diary of his subsequent actions, those machine guns were spitting fire and cutting down the undergrowth all around me something awful. I didn't have time to dodge behind a tree or dive into the brush. I didn't even have time to kneel or lie down. As soon as the machine guns opened fire on me, I began to exchange shots with them. In order to sight me or to swing their machine guns on me, the Germans had to show their heads above the trench. And every time I saw a head, I just touched it off. All the time, I kept yelling at them to come down. I didn't want to kill any more than I had to, but it was they or I, and I was giving them the best I had. Now, here's what's significant. Several other American soldiers followed York's lead and began firing. As they drew closer to the machine gun nest, the German commander, thinking he had underestimated the size of the enemy squadron, surrendered his garrison of some 90 men. On the way back to the Allied lines, York and his squad took more prisoners for a total of 132. Though Alvin York consistently played down his accomplishments of that day in April 1919, York was awarded the highest American military decoration, the Medal of Honor, lauded by the New York Times as the war's biggest hero. He was called the greatest civilian soldier of World War I, and he went on to found a school for underprivileged children called the York Industrial Institute. So those who bow to the world, they want you to bow as well, so they are not reminded that it's possible to keep standing. Yet in standing, as we see this man do, others saw and they took courage and stood as well. So that's what happens here. As Alvin stayed strong and fought in the midst of impossible odds, men joined in. All right, let's finish off this chapter. So Haman, 
calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officers. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and his friends said to him, have a pole set up, reaching to a height of 50 cubits, and ask the king of the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggested delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. Well, when we see this part of the story, it would seem that Mordecai standing does not serve him well. But the book of James does tell us that God gives grace to the humble. And Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Haman's pride, his hatred, his arrogance have poisoned him completely. And he's in back there putting his fingers together saying, I have Mordecai trapped now. But he does not realize that allowing this evil to reign in his heart has actually caused him to fall into a trap of his own making. Well, there's going to be more on that in the next episode of For Such a Time as This. Well, I promised y'all I was going to share what God is saying concerning 2021. I want to say I wasn't looking for this. And yet, as I had time with God, it just seemed like every day he was just leading me to see a certain pattern in my reading. I wrote down a lot. I just want to hit on the main points. So there's three main points here. What God, uh, I feel like is saying to expect and to prepare for in 2021. First of all, God is using these times to train our hands for war. He is stirring up a sleepy, even a lazy church. We have not needed to be as prayerful in the past as we are now. 2020 was a shock to the soul. And I believe we're not done being shocked into wakefulness. And we're going to continue to learn more and more what it means to stand firm in the Lord, trust and rely on him, and mostly to pray and intercede. That's the warfare he's training us for. Number two, this is a new season. 2020 was the transition, but now a new era has begun. And 2020 was the turning point year. I I think in the past, we're going to look back and we're going to say that happened before 2020 or just after 2020. Well, there will be continued darkness in the earth. God's church is going to truly rise and shine for thy light has come, which is from Isaiah 61. And I cannot tell you after I read that verse, how many times I heard it or saw it. I believe revival is coming in the midst of darkness. God's light is going to shine on us like never before before. So be prepared. Be prepared to share the hope within you. Number three, as I was praying, I saw a boat. It was like riding towards the shore as tremendous waves were attempting to overwhelm it. Those who know their God are going to be like, yeah, standing at the bow as the waves splash their faces and they're going to enjoy, enjoy it like a roller coaster ride. But others will be terrified. Nonetheless, they'll be steadfast and they will make it to shore. Still others will turn back. 
sadly, there may be some who actually become casualties. The times may become fierce and difficult, but the Lord is saying, persevere, persevere. I can't say I've heard specifically from the Lord concerning the election, but the prophetic voices that I trust and follow have been saying that Donald Trump will prevail. Uh, Soon we're going to see. But you know what? Here's the main point. God is a God, no matter who's in office. Esther shows us how to live in a pagan culture, as well as a culture favorable to the Christian faith. No matter what the culture is, we need to stand. And this is going to be our time to stand and shine, as well as a time to persevere against the odds. I believe in the end, we are going to reach that shore, and it will be a time of celebration. And those who don't stand will be sorry they backed down. So don't back down in 2021. Alrighty, we will see you in the new year. Um, God bless you. Lord, I pray for this upcoming 2021. I pray that we will be as those standing on the boat saying, yeehaw, letting the waves splash our faces and just enjoying the ride that you put us on, Lord, because you just sleep there peacefully. Um, Lord, I, I pray that those of us that are, are frightened will find peace and confidence in you. And that above all, that we will persevere and that we will trust you. Lord, we thank you for the days that are behind us. And we thank you for the days that are ahead. We don't know what they hold, but we know that you hold them and you hold us. Amen. Alrighty, you can check me out on uh, Facebook. Faith and Fasting is the name of the group. And also Storming the Gat One is my Twitter handle. We'll see you there. God bless.